Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Morning, everyone. How are you doing? Ah, let's do that again. They're more Pentecostal in certain, and I love that. Uh, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Oh, you need a lot of work. Um, great to be here. Um, I'm hanging around at the end. Come and say hi uh, if you are able to. Uh, love uh, this church. Love this service. And I hope I do a smashing job serving you today. Uh, greetings from the Sutton service as well. Uh, we've had the most remarkable last uh, 12 months. Uh, we've experienced uh, quite dramatic growth. Uh, even since I was last here in February, uh, the growth uh, shows no signs of stopping. Uh, the diversity is extraordinary. Uh, we had at least nine new people last week, none of which were, were white Brits. Uh, and the presence of God on Sundays is just very, very special right now. Uh, our Hong Kong ministry is going from strength to strength. Uh, we've been running a fortnightly Cantonese service now for about four months. And uh, we're having at least uh, one new Hong Kong family join us every week over the course of uh, this year. And word is starting to spread about what's happening. Uh, there's one couple that have been coming from Wembley to Sutton every Sunday for four months uh, because they've heard about the community and they want to taste it for themselves. Uh, I met people last week from Twickenham and Richmond. I'm like, why are you here? And they said, we've just moved to London. We don't know anyone. We're looking for community. We've heard it's here. And so God is really doing something quite exciting. Uh, we're praying now, should we start a weekly Cantonese service? Because there are so many. Uh, we're running out of space in the venue that we are in. And so if you've got a spare prayer, uh, we really feel like we need some wisdom from God to steward what's happening right now. It's uh, all the challenges you pray for, but they are challenges uh, nonetheless. And one of the reasons I share that is because this is your story too. Uh, we could only start this service because of the faithfulness and generosity of people in services like this one. Uh, so when you hear, I hope you can celebrate because this is part of the journey that we are on together. We are partners in this. Uh, but I also wanted to share one story as a way of kind of encouragement uh, for you guys. Uh, the first 18 months of our service was just really hard graft. Uh, you felt like you were sweating uh, blood, sweat and tears with very little fruit uh, at all. And after 18 months of painful hard work, uh, feeling like quitting a lot... Uh, a few people in the service came to me and said, um, Andy, we'd like to put on a worship night for people who don't believe in God. And I have to confess, I thought it was a stupid idea, because uh, people who don't believe in God don't want to worship God. Uh, but one of the people suggesting this was my wife, Joy, so I had to tread very carefully at this point. So on the inside, I thought, oh, this is a ridiculous thing to do. But on the outside, I was like, well, I can see the faith in you, so let's give it a go. And uh, naively, I thought I wouldn't have to be involved, but they said, actually, in the middle of this evening, we'd like you to just pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. So uh, it was just like a piddlingly little, little group of people, 30, 40, maybe 50, in a, in a small room uh, in Sutton, a whole load of people who've never even been to church uh, before. And in the middle of the evening, uh, a few songs of worship were sung. Uh, I got up and said, look, I'm about to invite um, God to come and meet with us. And if you want to meet with God, uh, Jesus says he promises it to anyone who's thirsty. They can come to him and drink. And uh, I shared for two minutes, no more, and uh, there was one lady uh, who turned out to be, a, a, amongst other things, a local tarot card reader in the local community. And she was just staring daggers at me, like, who are you? And what on earth are you doing right now? Uh, but as I invited the presence of the Holy Spirit to come, she met with God in the most powerful way. Uh, to use her words, not mine, she said, I felt like something was cleaning me from the inside out. And she wept through the whole evening, was like, what on earth was that? She went home that night, and in the middle of the night, she had a dream of Jesus appearing to her and calling her to follow her. She got out of bed, got on her knees in the middle of her bedroom and gave her life to Jesus. And in the following week, some of the ladies from our community explained to her, this is what's just happened to you. Uh, last Sunday, I was looking at somebody else whose life got changed uh, that evening. 
And the reason I shared that, and I wanted to share that this morning, is I want to encourage you, firstly, invite your friends to church. You never know what God is going to do. And secondly, I want to encourage you, be listening to what God might be speaking to you about. I thought it was a daft idea, but we did it nonetheless because people thought, I think God might be in this. And something of that moment became a catalytic effect for us as a community. It kind of like increased faith levels and life and hope. So I want to encourage you as you kind of rebuild post-COVID, what's God saying to you? Listen to the Spirit, see what he says, and let's be excited about what God might do amongst you. I believe with all my heart, the best days for this service are still yet to come. So I pray that something of what I impart to you this morning is faith and excitement for what lies ahead for you. I have a sermon to preach. I better get on with that. Uh, But I hope that's uh, an encouraging introduction. Um, We are um, going through a series right now, basically looking at the life of Jesus through the Easter story. And the other side of Easter Sunday, we're starting to look at the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And today we're looking at one of his first appearances to the disciples in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, uh, you are welcome to turn there. And uh, if not, don't worry, the words will be on the screen. Uh, Just four short verses. This is what the disciple John writes. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Here endeth the reading. Well, there's a whole load of stuff uh, going on in these verses, and there won't be time to address all of it today. But if I had to give an overarching theme for what uh, I want us to look at today, uh, it would be this. What would Jesus say or do with our fears, our anxieties, and our worries? What would Jesus say to our fears? It's obviously a very pertinent subject for our world right now. We have war in Ukraine, uh, the ongoing threat of nuclear war, deep uncertainty over the future, COVID-19 pandemic, health of friends and family, an unstable economy, social and racial inequality, spiraling utility bills, sending many into poverty, job insecurity, exam season is upon us, political unrest and divisions along every fault line in society, escalating house prices, the future of our children, along with the myriad of cares, anxieties and worries that we carry around every single day. Aren't you glad you came to church today? What would Jesus say to our fears? I don't want to bombard you with statistics, but I did find a few that I thought would be a a helpful uh, introduction. A lot of this research comes from Cornell uh, in the United States. Uh, Apparently, the average person, it's come up on the screen, has between 2,000 and 60,000 thoughts every single day. Just as an aside, I love the bandwidth here. (laughs) Uh, At one end of the spectrum, there are people like me who have around about 2,000 thoughts per day. That's a lot of thoughts. Like, hands up out of interest if you're closer to that end of the spectrum. Okay, some, some one, one or two up in the balcony too. Simple hobbit folk, but the world is better because of us, okay? At the other end of the spectrum, there are people who have 60,000 thoughts every day. Hands up if that's uh, more like you. Freaks. Oh, wow, a service of freaks. Come for prayer at the end. You need Jesus, okay? Okay, 2,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. On average, this is just on average, 80% of our thoughts are negative. I find that extraordinary. It's almost like we have a default setting to spot problems and fret about them. On average, again, on average, 85% of what we worry about never actually happens. 
And of the 15% of worries that actually happened, 79% of people felt either A, it was easier to handle than expected, or B, that bad thing that happened actually taught me a valuable lesson. Meaning, and this quote will come up on the screen, that professors estimated that 97% of our fears and worries are baseless and result from an unfounded negative outlook through which we see the world. And just one other stat that I came across uh, a couple of months ago in The Independent. Uh, in the UK right now, about 38% of people are reporting high levels of anxiety. Not just anxiety, but high levels of anxiety, which means, statistically speaking, probably at least half of this room have at least some business to do in this area. What would Jesus say or do with our fears? And I want to suggest three really simple things from these verses. Uh, most of my talks are simple, but I think the Christian faith is meant to be accessible to children, and so I think it's more helpful that way sometimes. And step one is this, like, what would Jesus say to our fears? Step one is, well, we just need to admit them to him. We just need to be honest about them. This is a really obvious point, but the person who writes these verses is the disciple John. John is one of the disciples who is locked in for fear of the Jews. In other words, he starts these verses by saying, hey guys, I was scared. I had stuff in here that I had to do something about, and I think therein lies a lesson for all of us. And I love his description of fear's effects on him and the disciples' lives. It says, we were locked in for fear of the Jews. That is a brilliant description of what fear does. It locks us in. It keeps us stationary. It stops us moving forward. Uh, this is a completely irrelevant story, but it'll lighten the mood uh, somewhat. Uh, when Joy and I um, got married, uh, I don't even know how we fell into this, uh, but one of the things we started doing was playing pranks on each other. And uh, one of the pranks we would play is uh, one of us would, would hide somewhere in the house and jump out on the other one and scare them. And uh, I'm, uh, this a surprise to you, skittish, uh, and I hated this game. You know, I'd, I'd be in the house, and it'd just go quiet. I'd be like, Joy? Joy! I'm like, oh, no, it happens again. And um, this game escalated and escalated and escalated. And uh, one day, Joy got me well and good, and a big hot mug of tea was involved, and it went over me and the floor. And like all mature followers of Jesus, I knew I had to get revenge. And um, uh, the following week, I'd been doing Alpha in central London on a Wednesday evening. And I came back at about 10.30 at night, and we were in a flat in Kennington at the time. And I, I turned the corner, and I saw, bing, the bedroom light go off. I'm like, oh, Joy's just gone to bed. This is my moment. So I crept up to the front door like a ninja. And I put my key in the lock. And I opened the door, uh, closed it really quietly. And we were on one floor at the time, so I got on my hands and knees. I crept into the bedroom, and I could hear her lying in bed. I lifted the end of the duvet, and I suddenly grabbed her foot and just went, Rah! I won the game! I won the game! And at 10 years of therapy later, we threw that moment. Uh, we can now sleep with the light off again. Um, but the reason I share that story is I developed a strategy for basically bringing this game to a close. In that whenever Joy went quiet, and I, I kind of knew, oh, she's about to jump out on me, I would just stay in the room I was in and wait it out. Like, sometimes I'd be there for, like, half... I remember once I was in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, no. I just sat on the floor in the kitchen for, like, half an hour until she came out, like, oh, I give up. That is a brilliant description of what fear does. It just keeps us rooted, going nowhere. Not moving forward at all. Let me give you just an example from my own life. And uh, some of you I've known for many years... 
uh, your wonderful friends, and you've heard me share this before. Uh, I think vulnerability from the front is good. Uh, when I started working for Christchurch, I had um, what I would describe as a quite paralyzing fear of any kind of public leadership or ministry. Uh, preaching, uh, hosting services, uh, even leading team meetings, I just hated it. And uh, I went to uh, Dave, and I said, look, Dave, I love you, and I love the church, and I will do anything. I will clean toilets, and I will sweep floors, but I don't want to do that. Is that okay? And very graciously, he said, sure, Andy, no problem at all. And for two glorious years, I did no public speaking, no public leadership, nothing like that at all. And in many ways, it was wonderful. Let me give you three observations from that season in my life. Uh, observation number one was there was some really good stuff I missed out on. You know, most people I know are scared of public speaking, doing stuff in public to at least some degree. And I would watch them tackle fear head on and God would use them and bless them and I missed out on that. And I would suggest if you've got anxieties or worries or fears in here and you're not dealing with them, there's going to be some good stuff that you will miss out on. Second observation would be that me saying I don't want to do that did not eliminate fear from my life. I mean, that's the story of the disciples in John 20. They are locked in. They're like, okay, we don't want to go near the thing that scares us. And they are still scared. That was, that was my experience. I avoided public leadership. The fear just transferred to other things. In fact, just one embarrassing confession I remember once in my mid-20s. So, like, younger than many of you. I'm, like, I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm in a connect group, and I'm, I'm scared that the person leading the evening is going to pick on me to ask me to read the Bible passage because I was scared of getting it wrong. I mean, how naff is that? Like, me avoiding this thing that scared me did not deal with fear in my life. The stuff you're not dealing with, it's not going to solve the problem. And then the third observation would be this. I didn't just get locked in from stuff out there. I got locked in in here. And I became less of the person that God was making me to be. Let me give you like a really silly example of, of this. When I started to think, I've got to sort this. I've got to do something about this. And I started doing things that scared me. Sometimes people in church would say nice things. Andy, that was great. Andy, well done. And I, one of the things I observed in myself as I reflected on my life was I had this utter inability to take any kind of compliment. They'd say something nice to me, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Or I'd say that, you know, that stupid thing that Christians say sometimes, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You ever, you ever heard that or said that? I mean, just to be clear, no sermon I have ever preached has ever been good enough to be compared with one of Jesus' sermons, okay? It was almost like I was using these lines to kind of stop other people seeing the vulnerability that I was experiencing in here. And I know there are people in this room who can relate to this. And whether it's church on Sunday, work tomorrow morning, on the outside, it may look great. But on the inside, there are vulnerabilities and fears that you do not any, want anyone to know about. You are locked in, and Jesus wants to deal with that. And here's the mistake that so many people make when it comes to dealing with fear. And it's this, I can handle it. That's what I tried. Yeah, I can sort this. It's fine. It's not a problem. It does not work. And let me explain to you very simply why. If I said to you right now, do not think of a giant pink elephant, what's the first thing you're going to think of? Wasn't even there a second ago. And now you're thinking, oh, giant pink elephant, why? It's because the imperative, do not think about this, is directly connected to the thing you're not supposed to think about, the giant pink elephant. And our emotions work exactly the same way. If I say to myself, I am not going to worry 
or be scared of joy jumping out on me, I'm going to start thinking of all the myriad of ways that joy could jump out on me, and my emotions will go up, not down. You ever been on holiday in a swimming pool and tried to like, push a beach ball underwater? It's like, blub, blub, just bobbles to the surface again. That's what happens with our fears. And if anyone here thinks, I, I can handle the anxiety and the fear inside, it does not work. First step for dealing with the baggage inside, you've got to be honest about it. The encouraging thing is, John, the disciple, knows exactly how you feel. First step for dealing with fear and anxiety and worry is just to admit, I'm, I'm locked in. Here's this thing, and I need Jesus to deal with it. Step two for dealing with fear is this. We need to allow Jesus to minister to us. We need to allow Jesus to minister to us. How does Jesus minister to the disciples in these verses? Well, he does two things. He speaks, peace, and then he breathes. Now, you can be forgiven for thinking this seems a little bit weird. Peace. You know, when my kids start dating, um, if their dates arrive at our front door and say, hello, sir, because all my children's dates will call me sir, just the way it's going to work. Hello, sir, peace. I'll be like closing the door. They're not the one for you, okay? Why on earth does Jesus do this? Well, here's what John is doing. Uh, He is deliberately uh, evoking the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. How does God create the world? He speaks. Let there be light, and there is light. Let the land produce vegetation. Oh, and there are plants and there are trees. But how does he create humankind? He speaks... Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, but then he also breathes. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. John, who is writing this gospel, he actually tells us later on in John 20 why he's writing this gospel. It's like, my main point, like the reason I've written this is that you believe that this guy Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So firstly, he's saying that the God that was at creation is this guy standing before you right now. The same God who speaks and breathes in Genesis 1 and 2 is the same God who's speaking and breathing here in John chapter 20. But what he's also saying is this, the resurrected Lord Jesus has come to recreate you. He has come to make you new. He has come to give you new life be born again, resurrection power. Now, how does Jesus do this for us today? Because unlike the disciples, I I can't stand in a room with the resurrected Jesus and have him speak to me and breathe on me. So, So how does Jesus make me new today? Well, he does the same thing in a slightly different way. He speaks and he breathes. And I have the word of God and I have the spirit of God. And that in me helps me overcome the things that I am anxious, fearful and worried about. I want to give a a, a very cheesy illustration um, to help earth this. And I just want to be clear. I'm not trying to be gimmicky here. I'm not trying to just use up time in the sermon. Uh, For me, if you're like me, um, I have a short attention span. I'm more of a visual learner than an audio learner. And actually seeing things helps me remember things better. So hopefully, for at least some of you, if you're like me, this will be helpful. And uh, for this illustration, I need a volunteer. Elise! Wonderful Elise! Come to the stage, my friend! That emotion you're experiencing right now is called excitement. Um, come to the stage. And what I'd like you to do, uh, I have a, a balloon here. And uh, I'd like you to hold this balloon above your head. 
Now, um, this balloon is just an empty balloon from a normal pack of balloons. And this represents somebody whose, whose life is empty. The word of God and the spirit of God is not in them. Now, I have here a lighter, which represents the trials of life, the things that we get worried and fearful and scared about. What happens when somebody who is empty comes into contact with the trials of life? You ready for this? Boom. If you don't have the word of God or the spirit of God in you, that's what happens. Now, I have here a second balloon. Again, I'd like you to hold this above your head. Now, there's something in this balloon. It's urine. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> no, no, it's water. Toilet water. No, no, no. It's just water. It's just water, okay? Now, in, in the Bible, uh, water actually is symbolic. Of, firstly, the Spirit of God. Jesus says in John's Gospel, if anyone is thirsty, he can come to me and drink. And out of his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. It's, it's just beautiful picture language for the life and refreshment that Jesus offers. Water also represents scripture too. Ephesians 5 would be an example. talks about the washing of the water of the word. When you get the book into you, it cleans you, helps you live a more effective life. And so this is somebody who's got the word of God and the spirit of God in them. What happens when they come into contact with the trials of life? No boom. All is well. That's hurting my finger now. My kids were like, wow, at that. If you're like a science geek, the reason is water is a great conductor of heat. It spreads heat evenly through the balloon, which means it does not burst. Try it on your friends later on. Uh, Elise, your work is done. You've been a wonderful volunteer. Can you give my assistant a wonderful round of applause, please? Is the word of God and the spirit of God in you? Is it really, really in you? What does that look like? Let me just give you like a really almost embarrassingly simple illustration from my own life. And I deliberately keep it simple because I think our walks with Jesus are to be about everyday life, not about the seemingly super spiritual moments. Uh, last uh, year, uh, some of you will know, um, my wife Joy and I uh, made a, st a stupid lockdown decision. We could do a renovation. Sure. What, what could possibly go wrong? So uh, we sold the house we were living in. Uh, we bought another house just five minutes away. Uh, hadn't been lived in for years. Uh, it was totally falling down, broken front door, broken windows, damp in the, in the walls. When, when my daughter Mia uh, saw it, she burst into tears because it was so horrible. And uh, it was totally unlivable. And we thought, yeah, we, we can handle this. And uh, to cut a long story short, uh, most things that um, could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, it's, it's okay now. We're in the house. Uh, couldn't live in it for a long time. But on, on day two, uh, the builders walked off the job and said, this is too hard. We cannot do this. And I'm like, who on earth am I going to find at short notice to, like, who's any good to, like, fix this? And everybody I called was like, no, 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 no. We're booked up months in advance. And I'm like, have I just led my family into a complete disaster? What are we going to do? I'm like, I've got to pray. So I went for a walk because I pray better when I walk. And I just walked to the local park, and it's just like a really stupid moment, but I walked past this tree. As I walked past this tree in the local park, this bird stuck his head out of a hole in the tree and looked at me. And I looked at the bird. And it's, it's difficult to do, put into words other than it was like this Bible verse kind of bubbled up from within. I don't even think I've even read it before. Looked it up later, Psalm 84. It says this, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest, a place where she may raise her young. 
And again, it's hard to describe other than I felt God say in that moment, Andy, I don't just care about the birds. I even care about where the birds live. And I had the most extraordinary sense of the presence of God in a park in the middle of the borough of Sutton. And I knew, well, it's going to be okay. Now, that did not mean I didn't get burnt. I had the scars, took its toll, but I had something in me that got me through. That's how you overcome. Bring it to Jesus and then let him minister to you his word and his spirit. You know, I think the most moving thing that I have seen this year is our brothers and sisters in Ukraine handling the war in which they find themselves. I know there's lots of fake news online. I triple-checked these photos to check they are true. On the right, a family in a bunker reading Psalm 31 in Ukraine. On the left, a group of Christians in Ukraine in underground metro stations singing songs of worship to Jesus. And it does not stop the bombs going off all around them and the grief and the pain that they are going through right now. But this is what gets us through. Can I ask you a question? Is, is the word of God, and is it in you? You have it in you. Do, do you know that he will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you know, is it in you, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Or have you been beating yourself up all week? Do you know in here, if he provides for the sparrows, how much more for you? Do you know the words of Jesus? In this world, you will have trouble. There'll be moments when you feel like, I get burned, but take heart. He has overcome the world. Is, is it in you? If you want to be someone who overcomes fear, you need the word of God and the spirit of God. And you need to get it in here. And Jesus is here this morning to breathe upon you and to fill you again. How do we deal with our fears? What would Jesus say? He'd say, first, bring them to me. Just be honest. I got this stuff. Now, it might be piddlingly insignificant stuff in the great scheme of things. Let me tell you this. If he cares about my house renovation, he cares about your thing. Whatever it is, bring it to him. Number two, let him breathe on you again. Let him fill you again. Get the word in you. And then number three, I told you it would be simple. We overcome. We overcome. Because Jesus' plan for the disciples is not to keep them in the room. He's not here to make us feel better. He's like, no, no, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. But here's what interests me about these verses. He doesn't send us out as all conquering heroes. Now, often when I hear talks on breaking through fear, like I'm left with the feeling I've got to be like Braveheart. You know, freedom, fight, overcome, we can do it. No, that's not what happens here. Because Jesus does a couple of other things. Number one, he shows them his hands inside. I love this about Jesus. Now, what's, what's going on here? Well, partly he's authenticating himself. It's like, guys, it, it really is me. But when the disciples look at his hands and side, they are seeing something. There are scars or wounds there. We know this because of what's coming up in John 20 with Thomas, who said, I won't believe unless I see the scars and put my hands there. So something about the resurrected body of Jesus has wounds, has scars. Like when you go out the room, you're going to get scars. Jesus shows them his scars. And I think something of this will be the case in all eternity as well. Why? Because at the end of the book, the book of Revelation, the culmination of this epic story, and the beautiful, amazing, wondrous vision of what is still to come, 
the image of Jesus is he looks like a lamb who has been slain. For all eternity, there's somehow this reminder of the pain and agony of the cross. And I wonder, and this is me supposing hypothetically here, if the same will be true of us as well. Why do I say that? Because if you get to the book of Revelation, uh, in my opinion, and others will disagree on this, in, in, in my opinion, the primary descriptor of the people of God in Revelation, the primary descriptor of the church, and if it's not the primary, it's one of the primary, is that they are a people who have overcome. And I do not know how you can have part of your identity, I am an overcomer, without knowing at least some of what it is you have overcome. In other words, there's this ongoing reminder, yeah, yeah we, we went through stuff. But Jesus is stronger. And so when Jesus sends us out, he, he doesn't send us out like, yeah, we can do it. He's like, no, in weakness and trembling and with our wounds. But he uses us. And he's with us. There's a, a really old book, wonderful book, uh, called uh, Ten Fingers for God. It's written by a lady called Dorothy Clark Wilson. And she just tells a story that I, I find very moving of ministering in a leper colony. And she asks a friend of hers called Paul Brand to give an impromptu talk to this assembled group of lepers. What's he going to say? No preparation. And Paul Brand says this. He says, by profession, uh, I was a hand surgeon. And I just love looking at people's hands. And Dorothy Clark Wilson gulps because she's looking around the room at these lepers who have got malformed, crippled hands, stuff not there that should be. He's like, what's he going to say? And Paul Brand says, I would have loved to have looked at Jesus' hands. Because at the end of his life, with nails going through them, they would have been crippled and gnarled and malformed. And there will be a, somehow an eternal reminder of this. And she writes that on the back of this talk, as they worship, these lepers began to lift their broken hands in worship to their wounded God. Because he knows he's with us in the pain. You know, your stuff in here, he knows all about it. You know, when I, when I started doing public speaking, I wasn't fearless. All the myriad of other fears I've had to break through, but he knows. He knows where I get burnt. He knows where I'm not right, and he's with me in it, and he is with you too. He's our wounded God. He's our suffering saviour. He shows them his hands and side, and then he does one other thing. He gives them authority. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you don't, they are not forgiven. What does this mean? What this does not mean is that disciples of Jesus can go around saying, oh, Philippa, you are, you are forgiven. Elise, you are not. No, that's not what it means. If you look, look at the commentaries, more likely what it means is this. As the disciples go out and do the thing that scares them, if they share the good news, hey, he is risen. Yep, there'll be some people that say, oh, it's not for me. I don't want forgiveness. I don't believe Jesus is God. But others, even, even amongst the people you're scared of, will hear this news and be like, I want this life. I want this relationship. I want my sins dealt with. I want forgiveness. And the world will end up getting changed. And the world will get changed not through their own eloquence or power or gifting. No merit in themselves, it'll change because Jesus is now giving the disciples authority. Uh, my favorite illustration on authority, the one I find most helpful, is of a lollipop lady. We have the most amazing lollipop lady at a school we actually pass on the way to our kids' school. She dances on the side of the street, rain or shine. And we toot the horn and wave at her every day. And what's interesting about a lollipop lady or a lollipop man 
is when they walk into the middle of the street, every single vehicle has to stop. And the vehicles don't stop because of her intimidating stature. The vehicles don't stop because of the way she waggles the stick. The vehicles don't stop because of the words that she says, you know, you shall not pass. Every sermon is a Gandalf quote. There we go. It stops because she's given authority. This luminous jacket and this stick that's given to her by somebody else, but because she's now got this, every single vehicle, big, medium, or small, needs to stop because she has authority. That's what disciples of Jesus are given. You know, the disciples often come back to Jesus for power. They never come back to him for authority. They just know I've been given this. You know, over the years, I've done great sermons. And I've done rubbish sermons. And I've done everything in between. People's lives don't get changed because of any merit in myself. Because Jesus gives me authority. And so I can step out with all my baggage and all my stuff and weakness, fear, and trembling. And people's lives could end up getting changed of what he has given to me and he gives it to you too part of the wonder of walking with jesus is just realizing that you've got it do you know that you've been given authority how do we overcome fear goodness our world needs this right now number one just admit it's there i'm locked in here's my stuff number two let him breathe on you again get the word in you and then number three overcome that is God's calling upon you. It's God's calling on you individually, and it's God's calling on you as a church. You know, that story I shared at the beginning, when I prayed, come Holy Spirit, and that lady's life got changed by God. I want to be honest with you. When I prayed, come Holy Spirit, I was like, I don't think anything's going to happen right now. But God changed her life not because of me, because of him. He wants to use you the same way. Can I ask us to stand, and can I invite the band up? Here's just what I'd like you to do. Um, if this is helpful for you, just take a moment to bring your stuff to Jesus. Life is busy and noisy and very full. Here is a moment of quiet for you to bring your stuff to Jesus. Where are you locked in? Those 80% of negative thoughts, where do they take you? Bring the little things to him. I really felt like, I, as I was preparing this talk, I feel like I want to encourage at least one or two of you to bring your disappointment to God. I just, I wonder whether there are at least one or two and you just feel disappointed right now. You thought your life would look different to how you expected. And something about your hope for the future has died. God, God couldn't use you to get that again. Bring your disappointment to Jesus. Tell him where it hurts. He's with you in the locked room. Tell him about your heartbreak. Give him your pain.
Tell him what you'd love to see. It doesn't feel possible. Now come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe upon us. Speak to us. Oh, he's here right now. Receive from him. Breathe him in. Breathe in his presence. He's here to recreate you. He's here to make you new. Come, Spirit of God. It's just a moment in your busy week. Just enjoy the gentle presence of Jesus. Oh, he loves you so very, very much. And now, says Jesus, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The call on your life is to be one who overcomes. End of the story tells us so. What is he calling you to overcome? God's plan is not that we stay in this room. He has so much more and it is altogether good. But listen to him. Some of you have walked with Jesus for a long time. And you used to carry promises from God. And you've lost them. Jesus says, I've come to give you them back. I want to encourage you to just be ambitious in your dreams in God. Dare to dream what God might do with someone who surrenders to him. Breathe your calling on us. And I pray now, Father, as we worship you, that you would continue to meet with us, intensify your presence, reveal to us more of Jesus. And I want to pray for a gift of faith, not just for every individual here, but for this service. That something from heaven would touch this community to believe you for exceedingly more than all we could ask or imagine, according to your power at work in us.
And may this moment of worship now be this wonderful, precious connection between God and us. We love you. We honor you. Meet with us, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's worship our risen King.